When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we get to today's episode, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors here in the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Miss Inc. They're social media problem solvers specializing in social media marketing and content writing. Over 10 years in business opening in January of 2008, they believe in a personal and customized approach to marketing. And as such, they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on websites like Facebook and Twitter or Instagram. It takes smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. has been leveraging social media in Miami for businesses since 2008. So don't believe in cookie cutter strategies or boxing in your business with others in your industry. Check out their services at miss-inc.com or by calling 305 305- 537-6465. Also, if you take out an ad package with us here at Five Reasons Sports, you'll get a free consultation with Miss Inc. for your social media. So check out Miss Inc.com. That's Miss M I S S Dash I N K dot com. And now on to our UMLSU recap. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Please do check out the other podcasts in our network. We're ramping up to football season. We're in football season. We're talking UMLSU today, so of course, subscribe to Five Rings with Josh Darrow. He'll be covering the Canes throughout the course of the season and have some former players on telling stories. we got the Dolphins coming up. Check out Three Arts Per Carry. Check out the Fish Tank and obviously all the other podcasts in our network. We have a new provider page, which uh, is a little bit of technical jargon, but basically, what you can do now is if you search Five Reasons and go to sort of where it says, you know, from podcast from five reasons if you click that it takes you to all the podcasts in our network so if you're on apple podcasts you can find all the podcasts in one place and obviously check us out on twitter at five reasons sports but ethan we did not pod on labor day so we wanted to take the chance to kind of this be the start of the week and we're going to start talking umlsu because it was the big game over the weekend and i just returned back from my apartment about a couple of hours ago from dallas i actually made the trip my dad and i have been wanting to do one of these major neutral site games either go to a championship game or a big um road game and we decided to make the trip to dallas and uh, naturally they were 33 to 3 down by the time that uh, we, we had really gotten settled in so it was unpleasant yeah i can imagine um i actually covered the last time that this happened against lsu the peach bowl up in mm. atlanta what i remember from that was a couple of different things uh one was the chick-fil-a in the press box which was delightful and <laughs> Just, just endless sandwiches, which were great when the Canes were down four touchdowns. I uh, just kept going back for more sandwiches. You're and that was also the game. by eating. 
what I also remember from that game was that was the game that the Canes decided that they would turn Devin Hester into a running back. And uh, they basically started running a ton of plays for him as a running back after he hadn't done it the whole season. He'd been playing corner. Uh, that was a spectacular failure, too. So this was a spectacular failure. My vantage point was a little different, Chris. We were at a watch party in Sunrise at Uncle Al's. We had a big crowd. We had the whole bar uh, outside. We pretty much filled the whole place. We had more than 125 people sign up to win a TV, which just to tell you how this night went, Chris, um, not only were the Canes down four touchdowns before you knew it, but the guy who won the television uh, was wearing a Cavs hat. So <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers fan, uh, what what the 50-inch TV Amazing. credit to, uh, to, to Seltzer Mayberg, the law firm, uh, which is now sponsoring us for winning that. And then the night ended with a monsoon. So uh, things were not much better where we were, except that the, the drinks were plentiful and the food was good. I watched it out of the corner of my eye. Obviously, I, I tried to catch up on a little bit uh, on DVR and, and the internet today. So I'm going to defer to you on most things, except to say this. The worst thing about having a big game early in the season is that if it goes like that, yeah, there's not much you can do to recover from it. Yeah. Like Nobody's going to feel good about what happens next week or the week after or the week after because this loss is hanging. And it's not just that this didn't just happen in Miami this weekend, Chris. Happened to FAU, like and yes. FAU played played what I believe is a better team uh, in Oklahoma than LSU is. But I mean, all the talk about FAU in the lane train, and it's like you get that kind of game early in the season, and you're down six touchdowns early as as the Owls were, and it's like, okay, so now what? Like, okay, so now you win the conference, or or you go nine and two, but there's no chance of getting in any kind of a national com- championship conversation. Not that there probably would have been for FAU anyway. I mean, they're not as delusional as UCF fans, but, but, uh, How but dare you our, our, but, our UCF fan in our, in our uh, five reasons group is going to be very upset about this. Well, the war on I four pod, which you can find on our patron feed, but uh, which they just started doing with the UC USF fans who are only slightly less delusional, but yeah, it, it's difficult for, for Miami fans right yeah. now because you, you got so excited about what this team was going to become and the one concern, and I know we're going to talk about this, but the one major concern was, is the quarterback good? Because he didn't look like it the last no. three games of last year. I defended him. We had him on. We had Josh Darrow on a pod. We had Cam Underwood on a pod. You know, I said, look, I, I think that we saw enough from him in terms of big plays and everything. But last night, as we taped this, he looked completely overmatched. And they don't have another solution right now because their backup quarterback, the guy who was supposed to take over the program didn't even make the trip, and I don't know where that's going right now with sure. Cozy Perry. So it's uh, it's not great for the Canes right now. Yeah, and I think that's the most difficult part for me to swallow because I feel like with a lot of my teams, and obviously I'm a big soccer fan, so it's you don't just root for your team to do well, right? You root for the sense of enthusiasm to grow so that there's more people getting under the tent because the Canes fan is a bandwagon fan, right? Like when they're playing on a nationally televised game against Notre Dame, a lot of fan bases can fill a stadium and build a raucous environment. It's can you do it the next week as Miami did against Virginia when you're playing a fairly, you know, ho-hum regular season conference game. Can you then put 55,000 people in the building for that? And they did because they built a sense of momentum. They, they built a sense of enthusiasm. And like you experienced at the watch party last night with a lot of people showing up and having a great time being fired up for the game. Like I experienced being in AT&T Stadium. The tailgate was amazing. The walk-in of the stadium was amazing. The fact that it was a genuine neutral site atmosphere. I was blown away. Understanding that the tickets are probably allocated in a very specific way so they can create 
create this atmosphere. Normally, UM fans get overwhelmed in situations like this. When LSU is a public school that is very much the team of the state, not just of a city. It's the team of the state, and they travel well. It's SEC. They put 100,000 in the stands for every game at home. There is that sense that they're going to overwhelm you with fans, particularly on proximity as well. And yet I was in Dallas the whole weekend. There was orange and green everywhere I went. I, I probably, you know, high-fived about 50 UM fans on the streets of Dallas. And it was 50-50. And that is only created by a sense of enthusiasm and by a sense of this team is, can be legitimately good. And for it to be punctured in a half... It's demoralizing. It really was sitting there just watching shanked punt after shanked punt, inaccurate pass after inaccurate pass. It kind of dampened the enthusiasm that you have about the entire season. And now really the only way to regain it is if they don't just beat but dominate Florida State in their home game after winning three straight against Savannah State, Toledo, and FIU. So it, it is a real bummer for me that it's not just losing a game, right? Because you can still go 11-1, and you go play in the ACC championship game, and if you beat Clemson, you might get in. But it's about that sense of enthusiasm. We talked about that in the build-up to this game, and it just, it just kind of sucks. Yeah, and that, that's why I said when we talked to Cam Underwood, I said they have to win this game. I mean, if, if you're going to talk about momentum for the program, and you had this stat after the game that you sent to me while I was dodging the monsoon, but basically, <laughs> they, but uh, but I mean, they've lost four straight, and and they what, what's the number, Chris? It's one twenty-nine to fifty-eight. They've been outscored. Right. I mean, so are they back? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it doesn't appear so. I mean, three really quality programs. You know, the last last three games when you're talking about Clemson, Wisconsin, and LSU, but. Look, this was not supposed to be an elite LSU team. I mean, this is not, you know, a Nick Saban LSU team. It's not even a Les Miles, you know, at its peak LSU team. This is supposed to be sort of a middle of the pack to slightly above middle of the pack team in, in the SEC. And the Canes made them look elite. And that's problematic because one of the questions that you asked of Cam Underwood when we had him on here on the pod was, you know, have they made up the gap in terms of against some of these great programs? You know, just in terms of are they going to look overmatched? And last night they looked overmatched, and they've looked overmatched against Clemson the last couple times that they've seen them. And you have to say right now they're just they're just not there yet. They're probably a, a fifteen to twenty five program, but they're not a one to ten program for sure at this stage. And I think that was shown at the end of last season. And we're going to talk about this in the larger context of Miami sports too, because I think that's part of what was so frustrating about last night, because why did we decide to have a watch party? Okay. We decided to have a watch party because this was considered a big game. It was, it was considered a big game because it started the season, but also because we thought UM was going to be good this year. And now I look around at the sports landscape and the only team that I'm really expecting to be good is the hockey team. And I don't know that enough people are going to care about that. I hope they do, but I think they're positioned for it. And so I'm looking at the calendar and I'm like, what are we going to have watch parties for? I mean, we're going to have a soccer match between us in a couple in about a week and a half, <laughs> uh, which I'm going to promote here on, on this podcast, because I, I don't know, you know, I don't know after week four, how many dolphins watch parties we're going to be able to get people out to. And I don't know now if we're going to be able to build the enthusiasm for the exception of the FSU game. I think mm-hmm. that one, you know, builds itself, but I, I think the others, when you look at the Kane schedule, if they lose the FSU game, then who's paying attention the rest of the season, right? right? I mean, that that's the way that this market works. So that's why it was frustrating. And we'll pick it apart here a little bit. But just in a larger context, we need a team to show us that they can be really competitive. They can be contenders. Right. You and I are not expecting it from the Heat this season. In fact, like 
the only good thing that can happen in South Florida sports this week up until the Dolphins game is maybe Dwayne Wade decides to come back. Like mm-hmm. that would get people excited for a day or two. I don't know that that makes them better than a 42-43 win team. Let's get into the specifics of it, sure. but that's a larger picture. All right, so here's where I kind of want to begin in terms of breaking down the football aspect of it. So one of the conversations we have with Cam Underwood and we were talking about with Josh Darrow as well is the areas in which the Hurricanes are meant to improve or get worse And yet, the feeling that I kind of got watching the game was, it's basically the same team, right? You look at the linebacking core. The linebacking core is obviously excellent. I think on the defensive line, they did a really good job in terms of, uh, except for really one play. For the most part, shutting down the run, getting after the quarterback, and doing a decent job. They lose Trajan Bandy in the first series of the game, so that's not ideal in terms of the secondary. But defensively, as much as the score indicated a poor defensive performance, I thought kind of play in, play out, really the only thing that LSU could do was like get quick slants off. Like that was their, that was the entirety of their offense and for the most part slowed down their passing game and I don't think let up too much in the run game. So as much as while they were trying to kill the game off, they didn't get off the field quickly enough. That's also at times what their defense was last year. But to me, the disappointing aspect is on offense. And we'll talk plenty about Malik Rozier, but just more generally that the offense is basically the same. It's We're going to try and run the ball. If we're going against a stacked defensive line, we're not going to be able to push them, which happened a lot yesterday against an LSU defensive line where I'm sitting there on first and 10 going, if they hand the ball off up the middle, they're not going to be able to do a lot. And you saw as the game went on that it was a lot more of DJ Dallas than Travis Homer because DJ Dallas can evade defenders. But their defensive line is big and nasty. And Josh Darrow tweeted after the game, here's where these guys ranked when they were recruited. And that was always my fear going into the game is that LSU – Okay, people might think of them as a mediocre SEC team. Mediocre SEC teams recruit well. They get really talented players from high, at high school level, and it really depends on year to year. Can whoever, is co- whoever coaches them get the most out of them? And at the very least, in the run game, they were able to slow down Miami. So against big teams, it was basically the same story. They struggled to run the ball, particularly between the tackles. And the passing game is basically either Malik Rozier completes or Rozier, as Sean McDonough kept saying last night. I guess that's a new pronunciation for Malik Rozier. Unless Malik Rozier can complete passes downfield, the Hurricanes don't have much of an offense. Yeah, and and here's my thing about this is we didn't necessarily expect Rozier to be the starter this season, right? I mean, when, when last season ended... I felt like everybody was sort of being, and I'm going to still go with Rozier because it's what I'm used to here. I understand <laughs> maybe it might have changed, but I was calling Patrick Sertan, you know, Sertan, Sertain for yeah. years after after Pat actually asked me explicitly to say it differently. So I, it's just when I get caught in the habit of something, it's kind of the way it yeah. goes. But but what I would say on this is with Rozier is when the season ended last year, after those three games, I think most people were kind of trying to be nice to him to say yeah, he should have a chance to start next year. Like the assumption was that one of these other quarterbacks that they've recruited over the past few years would beat him out, right? And that Richt was basically playing the political game to a certain degree, and this is another topic entirely, but what Nick Saban has been doing in in Alabama, right? Like where the other guy was more heavily recruited, Tua, but he's still trying to take care of the guy who was the primary guy last season to the point that he's snapping at reporters on the field for asking him the question, right? Right. When it's, when it's totally clear who the more talented guy was. And I think that most people who followed the Canes, whether it was, you know, very closely or sort of casually assume they would come up with a better option this off season Um, that, that Rozier. And and again, I defended Rozier on, on a previous pod because 
he did make some plays for them last season. But I, I, the way I viewed it was, okay, he's there unless they come up with someone better. Mm-hmm. And we thought they would come up with someone better. And it just didn't happen with Perry this offseason. Like, I think the assumption was it would. And then you get the news right before the game that he's not even traveling to the game. And so they're just kind of stuck now. Like, like, you know, we talk about Travis Homer and I I like Travis Homer, but it was considered a loss when Mark Walton went out last year. Like Travis Homer played well, but Walton was considered the more dynamic prospect. And so, yes, they have some other backs, whether it's DJ Dallas or Linyard. Uh, when he starts to get an opportunity or whatever, they have other backs who might be more dynamic than him. But again, I think when you looked at Homer and Rozier as being your primary, you know, quarterback running back options, it's not elite, right? It, it's, you know, p- potential to be good, but it's not top 10 in the country elite. And so I think when you look at that and you say you're running an offense that looks a lot like it did last season, and there have been some questions about Rick and the offense over the years, again, particularly in big games. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, we have to revisit that a little bit because that was, I was totally in favor of him taking over the program. I still think it was a great move. I think he's the right guy, but we have to acknowledge this, Chris. I mean, I think you and I were on the radio when he got hired mm-hmm. that this was a concern, right? Yes. That he doesn't win a lot of these big games. And, and, and what typically in- is said about him afterwards is that the offense doesn't live up to the expectation. And so now he's got a quarterback. He sort of needs to baby, but, the reality is the plays that Rozier made last year, Chris, were down the field plays. The ones that we remember were down the field. So he's kind of caught in between because you don't want to turn this guy into a game manager because I don't think that's what he's good at either. But he's going to be inaccurate at times. And when we had Darrow on the pod, that was the biggest thing he said about Rozier. Remember, mm-hmm. he said if he could just get his accuracy up, because what was it, 56, 57 percent last year? Yeah, and it was even worse in kind of the big games, right? I think Bill Connolly broke it down that it was like two thirds completion in the first three, three or four games when they're playing weaker opponents. And it was in the mid 50s and even in the high 40s at times last season. And what was it last night? He was at like that. He was nine of 18. I, I, at one I point. was there. It was funny, right? Because it's one of those things where you're, you're sitting in a seat, so you don't have access to a box score. I pulled it up after the first quarter. It said six for 11. I'm like, really? I don't remember mm. the six. I don't right. remember where the six. It finished 15 of 35. Right. I mean, so 47, 46%. I mean, it's just I'm not even. percent in the end. Yes, it's, yeah. not, it's not good enough. Um, and, and, and that was what Darrow said. Darrow said if he could mm-hmm. just get his – his completion percentage up to 62-63, which in the modern college game mm-hmm. is not asking for a lot from yep. your starter. And he's nowhere close last night. And so I just, to me, I, I mean, what is the, I, you would know this better than I, and, and I'm sure Josh knows it better than, than both of us. But I mean, what is the situation with Perry? Like, what is the issue there? Because, I mean, he was supposed to be a factor at this stage. Yeah, I, obviously none of that information is in the public yet. Mark Rick said in a statement that he will be, you know, ready to go for the next game when the program looks forward to having him back. This is actually a fairly common theme for Mark Rick teams. It's actually ended up becoming a joke amongst Georgia fans and in the SEC. Every year, Mark Rick would lose control of his program because he had nine guys suspended for the opening game. But yeah, so it's just Perry. But yeah, it's got to be something where he clearly didn't earn the job and maybe he was pissed off about it. But I don't know what happens sort of in the deep recesses of that program. But it is, I guess, of concern it, to some extent, right? Because 
as much as Nikoshi Perry was kind of deemed to be the next quarterback for this program, he is still just a redshirt freshman who has not played a snap yet of college football. And you mentioned the thing with Homer, too. I think there is an expectation that with young college football players that their progress is linear, right? That you see them, like Homer has a really good sort of breakout as the backup to now he's starting and forced to play this role that he might not have been ready for, but I think was overqualified for last year. So now you kind of expect him to be the lead guy when maybe he's not necessarily going to be the lead guy. And when all the time you see in college football, they talk about starts, right? Starts returning. How many guys are you bringing back? That may, that might not necessarily be a good thing because if some guy started for two years but he hasn't gotten any better, then what's the, what, what use is there for experience? So I think there's a bit of that. But to me, the thing, and I understand play calling, and certainly Mark Rick has to be called into question because I think when – for example, the LSU quarterback, I don't think was a ton better in terms of completion percentage. They weren't exactly throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, Burrow was 11 of 24 for 140 yards. Generally, when you do that to someone else's quarterback, that's a losing effort, right? Like when They're not doing enough. Uh, Nick Brissett in the run game having a 50-yard touchdown, and then outside of that, uh, 21 carries for 75 yards. That was enough to get it done. Like They figured out a way to make the big plays, and that's actually a, a formula which Miami followed at times last year. And as much as you talked about Miami not winning big games, games they won three last year they they beat Florida State on the road and they beat Virginia Tech at home and they beat Notre Dame at home and those were all big games at the time right like maybe you want to look back and play revisionist history but those were all big games at the time and for me the thing with Mark Richt and I, I I feel like at times I come off as an apologist for all these guys right Rick because I think he's got a genuinely tough job and for college athletes because that's just I I, I follow the Levitard school of I really don't go after college athletes so while yesterday some of my Twitter mentions wants to call him a bleeping bum I'm not gonna have a go at Malik Rozier like that for me the thing with Mark Richt is he's in a game where his offensive line can't block whether it's in pass protection or in run blocking and his quarterback is inaccurate and I just don't know what you can do with that. They try, I mean, th- for me, they had three pass plays. Screen, slant, and go pattern. Like, that's all they have because Malik Rozier clearly does not have the accuracy for anything else. Even, like, for example, the two best plays for Miami last night. Well, one, the, the one that I sarcastically cheer the most was Jeff Fiegel's pinning a punt inside the four because the rest of his punts were so bad. But, oh, by the way, before you go on, though, I want you to finish the thought. But the loudest cheer at the watch party, the loudest cheer was when he pinned that punt. Yeah. I, I mean, that, the, the place exploded. It's like, I, I mean, we had 50 or 60 people outside. <laughs> and, and it was like, I, it was the loudest cheer of the I night. love, I love That's a sarcastic cheer. I love a sarcastic cheer. And all the people around me were like so beaten down and they were still quiet. And I stood up and I was screaming, yes, we're not incompetent at punting. And I, I, I got some laughs from the people around me. But like, I, I, I was absolutely sarcastically cheering because the rest of the night was a catastrophe. But for the, the two greatest plays of the night, right, were Jeff Thomas leaping grabs one he gets he just gets the foot in and the other is the Odell Beckham catch those are like and and it was funny because we went back and watched it today it was a fairly narcissistic thing that my dad and I did we watched it on television to see if we came out on television which we did a few times but uh but we we, and it was funny because uh we watched the Jeff Thomas catch back and Sean McDonough the commentator goes Malik Rozier on target and I'm like on target what are you talking about the ball was five yards behind him and he had to Odell Beckham in order to catch it he's not accurate and there is no getting around it and so like you said Mark Rick had to baby him but really the only way which you baby him is either throw a screen pass or a 40-yard pass like those are his only choices and if he doesn't hit the 40-yard passes on the day you're going to lose and LSU had them covered well 
And when you played FSU last year, you were able to hit enough of them to go and win the game, right? The last play is a, a sort of last-second heave, of which there were many last season. If he's not hitting them on the day, you're going to lose. And that was the tightrope that UM walked last year. They won 10 straight games even with that game plan, and in, in some ways were fortunate to do so. But last night is what it looks like when it doesn't work, when you don't hit enough big plays to convert and turn long drives into touchdowns. One more thing on Perry, because I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't sure. like going after college athletes. Um, and so I think that the hatred that Rozier gets on. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Twitter and Instagram is unfair. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's, I, I, just, I just don't think it's appropriate. But just coming back to this on Perry, I, you know, I was looking up some of his numbers when he was recruited. So Scout had him as the 84th uh, player in the country, four-star recruit, who was given offers by not just Miami, but Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So highly I mean, recruited player. So I think I understand what you're saying about, you know, this idea of counting on a guy who's a redshirt freshman, but I understand why Canes fans counted on it. I, I understand sure. why th- why they looked at Rozier last year. And we're like, okay, he's he's okay at times. And I go, some people don't think he's okay, but I think there were some who thought he was. But he's just not of the caliber mm-hmm. to lead a program that has the aspirations that Correct. this program. In terms of pedigree and in terms of performance, he is a right. very much middle-of-the-road college quarterback. Right. And, and so that works in a lot of places, but it depends what we think UM is right now. If that's what sure. UM is... He's fine, and you can get by with it, and you're probably going to win nine games this year anyway, and you're probably going to be ranked 18th, and that's fine. But if we're, we're talking about being a national power, you needed someone with Perry's pedigree to step up early in his college career, and clearly it hasn't happened. And, and that, that to me is – we're going to talk about the other issues that the Canes have, and, and they do have them, particularly on the lines. But to me, that's the, that's the major thing here. That's I mean, the, the punter is a problem, and, and clearly that's a pedigree thing. He should not be punting in a major program. Yep. I, I, th- I think that was proven last year. I mean, I know what his name is, but, I mean, they had to come up with a better solution there. But, I mean, again, he's just a punter. I, I know it changes field position, but it doesn't affect every offensive play. The Perry thing is, is damaging, and, and mm-hmm. it, has, it has to be figured out. And if it is just that he was upset that he's not starting – which we've seen that. I mean, look, look at the Dolphins a couple of years ago, right? Jay Ajayi didn't make a trip to Seattle because he was upset because he thought he was better than Arian Foster. And the reality was he was right, right? Like he was right. Yeah. I mean, whatever you think of Jay Ajayi, he proved that Arian Foster was out of the NFL in three weeks. He now hosts a very successful podcast. And, <laughs> and, and, and Ajayi uh, is, you know, is part of a running back rotation for the Super Bowl champion. So Jay Ajayi was correct. Uh, on that. And, and, and it's not even unprecedented in college football. You mentioned the Tua example. Like, I, I go back last year. Like, this is a very kind of college football dorky example, but you recall last year the game that you know, the, that the University of Miami lost was to a third-string quarterback in Pittsburgh, and it was basically this guy that was a freshman and they kind of thought he would eventually be the, the, the future of the program, but he ended up being the best-performing quarterback that they had all year. He was even better than the grad student transfer they got from USC. He was a true freshman. And so it is possible that coaches 
tend to go for players that they trust to know the offense, that that they can trust that they're going to do this job, right? And that coaches might not see the forest from the trees. The thing is, though, that if Perry isn't even disciplined enough to make the trip, then that's a problem. I guess the one kind of positive you have is you want to at least get into a position against Savannah State that you can see him. You want to see him next week because maybe this season was lost yesterday, but maybe the next couple of years with a new quarterback isn't yet lost, and maybe building some hope towards next year isn't yet lost. I still think that there, and, and we talked about the blue chip rate with Cam Underwood, I, st- I still think there are some talent areas. I think you saw last night that particularly on defense when they went to backups that they gave up the 50-yard touchdown run. So I, I think that there are areas of depth that need improving. Certainly, offensive line is one of them. Again, I think the UM offensive line isn't good enough. You get a real difficult test against LSU, and they couldn't push him in the run game. And in pass protection, they had to move a guard out to right tackle. And you saw again and again, he kept getting speed rushed. And it also seemed like, and this is going to sound very football dorky as if I know what I'm talking about, but I kind of know just this one thing, but like A-gap pressure all night long. And Malik Rozier, and this is something, where do you, where do you stand on this, Ethan? So, all night long, he's getting A-gap pressure. All night long, he's running away from it. He ends up actually leading the team in rushing attempts with 16 as a quarterback and only ends up with seven positive net yards because he also got – because in, in college, uh, sacks count for yeah, negative I hate, rushing I, I yards. Hate, I hate that rule. Right, right. Cause you, so you have rule. to go to, like, the gain minus the loss to get a real sense right. of it. But you saw last night that he, he, with his feet, was probably the most reliable thing that UM did – and my thing that I was impressed with Rozier, and look, he's not accurate. And let's just start there. I don't think he's a good enough quarterback, particularly as a throwing quarterback, to lead a major college football program. But he kept again and again lowering his shoulder when he could have slid and was doing everything he could to run away from pressure and took a ton of hits. And I wanted to give him some credit for it because I, I don't like universally criticizing college quarterbacks. I don't like calling them effing bums like I got on Twitter. Like I, I try to be a bit more fair and no one was having it. No one was having it. I think football fans are much more like it's a Parcells thing, which is don't show me the labor pain, show me the baby. Like they want results, they want outcomes. And clearly, Malik Rozier did not deliver you the outcome. But I thought at times he was so impressive and and really demonstrated toughness in a UM second half performance that showed that they didn't really quit. Like they could have just easily quit twenty seven to three down, and they didn't. And I think Rozier was a big reason why. Yeah, and I think that's the one takeaway from a positive perspective for him yesterday because one of the things that we talked about with everybody we've had on the pod to talk about him and UM is that he had to sort of concentrate more than he did last year, that there were some issues late in the season. The pit game comes to mind. Others missed timeouts, just just things where it seemed like he was spacey during the game. Right, and even like on on missed passes, like the way in which he missed like – I'm sorry, if you're a college-level quarterback, you cannot be throwing screen passes at people's feet. It's an eight-yard sideways throw. Put it in his chest. It, it cannot be that hard to throw a ball accurately from eight yards away. And, and again and again, I mean, man, it was third and 25. They're pinning their own end zone. I just got done watching two dudes fight behind me, and I turn around, and Malik Rozier has a wide-open guy up the seam and sails it seven yards high. Like, I... If you want to say he, it, inaccuracy is a result of lack of concentration, then he regularly suffers from lack of concentration. All right, so let's move on to the next part of this. We've kind of covered three parts in one sure. here a little bit. So let, let's move on to, to the last piece of, of last night's game, which was other than Rozier, mm-hmm. was there anything positive that you took away? Because we, we've mentioned the lines, not ideal. The running game never really got going with Homer. Um, they gave up the big run late. 
accuracy wasn't good enough. The play calling didn't seem to be good enough. I mean, nothing was really good enough, but, but give me something, Chris, yep. something that you like. Okay. So I love discovering Jeff Thomas last night. And while he had a couple of plays last year, I thought at times he was an unreliable target. I think you saw that particularly down the stretch. Uh, once you're going into these big games without Herndon, without Amon Richards, without big pass catchers, I, I don't think that Jeff Thomas did enough towards the end of last season to feel like you were there with him, that he's a reliable target. He's that this year, man. Those two plays he made were ridiculous. Um, I think you saw, uh, particularly before Bandy went out, the way that the defense was flying. And I, I still think that defensive performance was redeemable. If you just looked on yardage, if you just looked at where they got beat, like they got beat on one rushing play and had a, had a few dumb penalties that prolonged drives. Like I feel like, for the most part, that defense was... Like was of the level of of LSU. Like I don't feel like you know you're you're going into the game saying you're going to get beat up. I thought Gerald Willis really showed very well in the middle of that defensive line. I think you still saw like to me a good college program has a flow of bodies that they're throwing in. At times on defense, it looked weak, particularly once you get into the second string secondary because it was such a you know lack of experience there and at linebacker as well. But I think you kind of have a rotation defensive lineman you feel pretty good about. Uh, so there are a few players that flash very well. I thought Gerald Willis was absolutely one of them. I'd have to study the game more just because when you're in person, uh, you, can, you miss some details, but love the way that Jeff Thomas played. I think the fact that by the end of the game, they're relying on DJ Dallas more than they were on Travis Homer indicates to me that they're going to go forward with that. And in terms of positives, like as much as we talked earlier about momentum kind of being over for now, if they can win their next three going to the FSU game, if they win that FSU game and they start going on four, five, six, seven in a row, then I think they can reclaim it. I think to me, the thing that gives me some, some positivity is that I really don't think this team fell off from last year. I just don't think that they've improved. And so I still think they're going to win a bunch of games. I just don't think that they've really reached that status yet as perennial top 10 team, as playoff contender, as team that's even, for me, in the vicinity of Clemson. We haven't really seen Clemson. I think, yeah, they played some some uh, some Patsy team. They won 48-7 in the opening game against Furman. They had their first real test on the road against Texas A&M at the weekend. But I think that you're not at that level yet, right? And you're some ways off it. And that's a disappointment. But I still think that you're going to be good enough to win a fair amount of games this year. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to be enough for people because I think the expectations sure, were higher. Right. And- well, I mean, it was enough last year. And I, you know what? I, I do want to push back on that a little. I think it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like sort of, you know, it's not the you, right? It's not being back. But it's such a barren period that winning 10 games a season is still – market improvement from where they've been for 15 years. And what's right, Chris, but they fi- won their first 10 last year. See, see to me, that's the thing. So uh, I, I understand what you're saying. They finished 10 and three. They ended up sort of out of the, the mix there in terms of any national championship picture. But up until that last week, we thought they had a chance for that, right? Like we thought mm-hmm. that they could get into that final sure. four. And there were Canes fans who believed that they should be considered for that, strongly believe that. And now the problem is, again, you're starting with a loss. So I, I do think that they can build momentum, but one of the problems they're going to have now is let's say LSU ends up being what we expected, right, which mm-hmm. is a middle of the pack to slightly above middle of the pack SEC team. It's not going to reflect well on the Canes if LSU ends up 7-5, and five, which I still think is a legitimate possibility based on what the rest of the SEC looks like. 
I mean, Alabama for one, but some, some of the other teams yep. that they have in there. And so I, I think what you really need is LSU to finish 10 and two. I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Right. You, you, so need, I, you need LSU to be good. And look, right. I mean, they, they have, you know, like their division, obviously it's the murderer's row of college football. The SEC West is one of the most impossible things that any team has to negotiate in a given year. But you do have Texas a and with a new coach. You have Ole Miss, uh, you know, who brings back an interim Arkansas with a new coach. So like, you're right. Really, the hope is that LSU carries on and is at least kind of third behind Bama and Auburn, who I think are going to be really good this year. And they kind of finish nine and three, ten and two to kind of justify that loss. But you're right. At times, it did look like they're not just you know off. They're some ways off. But I do think there's a scenario in which the game looks relatively the same and without Bandy getting you know the targeting penalty, without you know again it, it's when you give up a football play, you can't say well if you factor that out. No, I mean you got beat. But I think there's a few ways in which that game could have looked a little bit better. But yeah, I, I still think they're 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 some ways off. Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick, co-founder of the Five Reasons Sports Network. You may have made it out to one of our two parties we've had so far, both of which were huge successes. Even if the Dolphins and Canes lost, we did one at Texas Roadhouse and one at Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. This time, we're going to participate. September 12th, 7.30 p.m., that's a Wednesday, we're going to be at Soccer Zone Indoor. That's Miramar Parkway and Flamingo Road in Miramar great new facility and we're going to have a field for 90 minutes air conditioned enough for 10 to 12 players to play here's all you need to do before you show up subscribe to our patron feed now that's on podbean so what you'll have to do is download the podbean app for free on either itunes or google play depending on whether you are apple or android then go to five reasons sports download the five reasons sports flagship and then pay for patron. Now we have lowered the price from $5 to $3 for just September to get everybody involved there. What will you get? A ton of extra content. We've got content from all the podcasts in our network. We've got fresh commentaries from a lot of local contributors. We've got a couple of new podcasts that we're playing around with. One is called Out for the Count. It's a boxing MMA podcast. And also the War on I-4. That's USF and UCF. So September 12th, Soccer Zone Indoor, 7.30 p.m., and all you need to show us is that you subscribe to the Five Reasons flagship patron feed. And now, back to the episode. All right, so let's move on to the last part of this, Chris, sure. um, and that's it. if they are some ways off, where's the hope in this market? Um, yeah. Because that's kind of the larger issue. We run a, a podcast network that is based on South Florida sports. We didn't start it at the best time um, in terms of where all these teams are right now. And I, I was looking back at this a little bit to try to figure out when we've had an era uh, or a period of time where there was so little hope for real contention. And so one of the reasons that this is challenging to find another era is that the Heat have been contenders for so many years, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you've always kind of had them uh, most years, right? So you had them kind of in that... Yeah, there was kind of... so. I would 96, say 96, 96 to 2000. Yep. Um, and, and then, then again, 03, well, oh, 04, uh, oh, after oh, the 04 to oh, oh, 04, I will say oh, 04 to oh, 07 because people okay. didn't know that they were going to be bad in oh, 06, oh, mm-hmm. 07. Well, they weren't bad. They got swept out of the first round of the playoffs. But then, you know, 2008 to 2010, they weren't bad, but they, but they weren't contenders, but they had an elite player who at least made you watch. And then 2010 to 2014, obviously, and mm-hmm. then the hangover from that the dolphins have not been compelling since uh, i would say 
the Jimmy to Wanstead years. They weren't like championship mm-hmm. contenders, but they had some years there where they were 10, 11 win uh, teams. Yeah, you, you'd and, probably remember this better than I would. Like, did people believe that Marino could take them to championship till uh, the early, very end? Er, early, early, not near the end. The only the only years that um, that I think it got talked about were there was a couple of years, maybe 92, 93, the year that they mm-hmm. lost in the AFC championship game to the Bills, the 29-10 game, which again, they haven't been back since, so that's 25 years. Um, so there was that. And then in 95, that was kind of a famous season because they, they signed a Shula in what turned out to be his last year, uh, signed about signed or traded for about 20 guys who'd been first round picks. I mean, they had Steve Entman, Trace Armstrong. It was just like this long list of, you know, I think Irving Fryer was on that team. Number of number of like highly regarded guys team got off to a flying start and then completely fell apart. And then that was it for Shula. Um, 95 is really the last time that I feel like we went into a season believing that they could really contend. The only other one that comes to mind might be 2000, well, a couple, 2006, Saban's second year when they, they got Culpepper and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. To as win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, yeah. To win the Super Bowl. And also, I think a couple of those years under Dave, 2002 in particular, after they got Ricky, I think with the defense that they had, there was a feeling that they could contend. And of course that ended up sort of falling apart and, and Jay got hurt and Ray Lucas went two and four. So the dolphins have been spotty. The Panthers have not uh, been considered contender really any year in their history because yep. they, they were not, they were not considered a contender in the year that they went to the Stanley cup finals. I mean, that came out of nowhere in their third season, 95, 96, uh, the Marlins, I feel like we were only considered a contender once, which was 97. It was not 2003. Right. Um, it, it was it was 97, and then it got blown up in 98. 2003, it got blown up slightly into 2004. 97 was because they'd added Benia. They, they had Sheffield. Uh, they had a Lou. I mean, there was a feel, had Kevin Brown. Like, there was a feeling that could. So, again, it's been spotty mm-hmm. for a lot of these teams. And but, you, you haven't been since 03. Since 03. Right. But but I, I and, and then obviously you had the 90s, which, you know, you were they were expected sure. to be dominant every year. But I, so when I look at it overall, I, I think I can't remember a time where there wasn't one team that you went into a season feeling this could be the year for them. And I feel like that was the Canes. And so if it's not the Canes, the only one that I have any hope for of the four is the Panthers. Uh, it's not the Marlins now for the next three years. You tweeted last night, very on brand. Uh, when I when when, when, I, when I tweeted, which was very on brand, uh, when does heat season start? And you tweeted, I can't wait for forty three and thirty nine. But that is the reality. I mean, that that's that's where they are right now, yeah. and that's where they're going to be for a couple of years. And, and in fairness to me, I had just got done chasing down a lift in the AT and T Stadium parking lot. That took about 15 minutes and me crossing about four intersections. So uh, I, I was also in a very sad and bitter state. We'll get back to the episode here in a second, but want to introduce you to another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. There are Miramar headquarters. It is Texas Roadhouse. We had our first watch party there. It was a great success, even though the Dolphins lost. But I've been out there a couple of times since because my daughter loves the kids' night. Every Tuesday night, $1.99 kids meal with a purchase of an adult meal at Texas Roadhouse. They got great drinks. They got great food. They've got great beer, obviously. And it's a great place to just hang out. And if you go for kids night, 
your daughter or son will have a great, great time because they've got Andy the Armadillo walking around. They've got arts and crafts. They've got someone making balloons. They've even had a magician. Sometimes they have a bounce house outside. So it's just a great place for the whole family to take your family on a Tuesday night. We'll be having another watch party there soon enough. We're also giving away $30 gift cards throughout the network. So be on the lookout for that. We're giving them out exclusively to patrons as well. If you subscribe to our patronage page on Podbean, you get an opportunity to win a $30 gift certificate. So check it out. Texas Roadhouse on Miramar Parkway, just west of I-75. And now back to the episode. So that's where they are. And the Dolphins, I mean, I have them over six and a half by a half. Uh, I I think Mm -hmm. they're going to win seven games this year. They Mm -hmm. might win eight if everything breaks right and they don't have a player in the top 100 of ESPN's player poll. But to me, the only team that's positioned is the Panthers. And and I'm worried about doing this, Chris, because I've done this with the Panthers before Uh, when they got Pavel Bure, there was a lot of excitement about that, what they could become when they made the playoffs a couple of years ago and probably should have gotten out of the first round because Trochik was tripped. Uh, if they'd got, if they'd gotten out of the first round, uh, I, you know, I think that team actually could have made a run with what they had. And then they basically moved Dale Talon to the side, went with some analytics guy, made a bunch of stupid moves in the off season. And so now they've brought back Talon, had a good off season. And here they are. I, I don't want to get that excited about them because I, I, every time I do that, I'm wrong. But they made a pretty compelling run in the second half of last season. And their best dudes are young. Their best and dudes are signed. young, man. And yes. signed. Young and, and signed, yeah. Young and signed, whether it's Barkoff or Trochik or Huberdeau or any of the other guys that they have. So I, to me, they're they're the only one, and they have a major issue because... They've got a location problem, and I think... Okay, so maybe you feel like they can make the playoffs, but... I feel like Tampa now gets behind the Lightning because they don't just think that they're going to go deep in the playoffs. They think they're going to win the championship. And so there are a lot of Lightning fans now in Tampa, which you wouldn't expect. There are a lot of Nashville, you know, a lot of Nashville Predators fans in a place where you don't think there might be. But you can't, you have to be this way for years, plural, where you think that where you're going deep in the playoffs, where you're creating fun atmospheres, where every year you think if you bring the same team back, you're going to go again. The Panthers are so far away from that. And they've got a location problem. So in terms of that feeling that you're talking about, which is you feel like they can be among the sports elite, I don't think there's anyone right now. And so, yeah, it's very sad, and we'll be closing our podcast network. But <laughs> but uh, we'll be talking about more things this week. Um, one thing that you should be on the lookout for is that for our 100th episode, this is episode 99. I wanted Jason Taylor for it, but I could not steal him from Fish Tank. I'm sure you're going to hear JT on there. Uh, before too long with O.J. McDuffie and, and Seth Levitt, who's run Jason's foundation for a long time. So I could not pull that off, but I was able to steal Dan Lebetard. So for our 100th episode, uh, we will be taping with Dan. Uh, that will be out here shortly. You might even listen to that one before you listen to this. Uh, but we're, we're going to expect to have a lot of fun with that. Episode 100, um, Dan and all the people that work with him on the Dan Lebetard show, which I think is the premier media property in South Florida, the premier sports media property for sure. They've been very supportive of us, and so we're very excited about that. So you, next time you, you hear from us, you will also be hearing from Dan. We will talk to you soon. Last week on the Light Skinned Opinions podcast. But my thing is this when it comes to Trump. 
us not taking him seriously is why he's in the White House. And here's the thing, like we sit here and we, we say, oh, it's just tweets, it's just this, it's just that, because we haven't been affected yet, all right? Because right now they're poisoning our environment, deregulating like a mother and you know who gets hit with that first. Lower class, right? Flint, Michigan, like that, it's gonna happen, start happening all over the country. Algae is growing all over the place, toxic algae. Like we don't pay attention because doesn't affect us yet. We're gonna be like, why did nobody say something about them mother tweets? Hey, that was offensive. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP SmartSide today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big